0: Peachtree is so good to be with you today. And one of the things I love about the summer is the chance for us to hear from some other voices, some other individuals as they go to the Garden of God's Word and get to share a message for us as a community. This summer, throughout the course of these next four weeks, we are gonna have four guest speakers who are gonna be in our services together for us to be able to learn and to grow from them. This week, I'm so excited to introduce you to a good friend, a person by the name of Renee Schlepfer. Schlepfer and Conwisher, we decided, sounded like the really worst Swiss German law firm name you could ever conceive of. Renee is a dear friend, a kindred spirit. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Renee, not only is humor, not only is joy, but also the ability that Kelly and I had at a conference one time to sit under Renee's teaching. I can still remember where I was holding my wife's hand, us taking notes and leaning into the message and then going for a walk after every message from Renee to go and figure out how to apply it to our lives. And so I am super excited to get to share with you someone that's not just a talented speaker, but someone who has become a colleague in Christ and in the gospel. And so it's my pleasure to introduce you and to welcome this morning. Let's go and hear Renee's message called Praises at Midnight. Hey, Peachtree, my name's Renee. It's so great to be with you this morning.
1: I am coming to you. From the church that I get to pastor, Twin Lakes Church here on the West Coast in Santa Cruz, California. And I am super stoked that my good friend Rich, super stoked, that's how we talk in California. Stoked that my good friend Rich Conwisher invited me to address you guys via live stream. You know, he said, I was nervous at first because we're a Baptist church and I know you guys are Presbyterians. And he said, Renee, relax, Presbyterians are just like Baptists only with itty bitty attention spans. So I'm gonna race through this material today. Somebody told me the other day that she could sum up how 2020 feels with one word, disorienting. Can you relate to that? So many changes, so many twists, so many turns, so many derailed plans. Well, today I wanna give you hope. That God is working right now for his purpose in your life, even though it may feel very disorienting to you right now. In fact, I want to talk about how you can live in disorienting times with total confidence. And I want to start with a true story. A couple of years back, the Wall Street Journal carried the story of a bicycle company with a pretty big problem. When they shipped their bikes to their online customers, they were constantly arriving damaged. And so the staff got together to think, how are we going to solve this? They thought about new shipping materials, new shipping routes, new shipping companies. But all of that would have added too much expense. And then one of the team members had an idea. He says, what if we change the way the delivery people looked at our bikes. He said, think about this, our bikes come in a box that looks just like a widescreen television box. And so he said, why don't we print a picture of a television on the side of the box? And this is actually one of their boxes. Uh, He said, maybe by only changing that one thing, the delivery people will look at the box and instead of thinking, this is a mountain bike, you can just throw this around, they'll think, oh, this is a TV, we need to handle this with care didn't change a thing about the packing material or anything, but the label on the box. Guess what happened? Shipping damages fell by 80%. What's the lesson? Often I think I need to change my circumstances to be happy, but the fact is you can't always get a change in your circumstances, but you can always change how you label them, and that changes everything as you will see in today's story from the Bible i call it praises at midnight from Acts chapter 16 basic truth I want to start with when things go wrong my attitude is the only thing that I have complete control over would you agree with that you cannot control this whole virus crisis you cannot control anything about what's on the news you can't control other people's anger you can't control other people's expectations you can't control most situations but you always have control over your attitude and the key to managing my attitude is fixing my perspective the way I choose to look at things the way I choose to label the box Can change my experience utterly of what's been delivered to me of what is in the box and i'll show you what i mean from this story because we see here three perspective shifts that will completely change your life three label changes that you can put into action the minute this message is over. The two main characters in the story are Paul and Silas, and they encounter one problem after another, and they learn so much about the sovereign grace of God and God's power to further the gospel no matter what. First, they choose a new perspective on closed doors. You ever had a closed door in your life? Maybe you feel like that right now. Maybe you're trying to reopen a business or just kind of get some answers about how to reopen or or, or what's allowed or what's healthy. Closed doors all over the place these days. Happens to Paul, Acts chapter 16, verse six. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, what's this all about? Asia, Bithynia, Mysia, milk of Magnesia. Let me show you on a map. They were trying to keep going through the Roman province of Asia Minor. That's modern Turkey. They tried to go east and they're blocked, tried to go north and they're blocked. So what are they gonna do? It doesn't say how these doors were blocked, but the fact is they hit one roadblock after another. So, verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia. And that's where modern northern Greece is today. Standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And they get into a boat, and for the very first time, Christian missionaries sail for the European continent. And of course, that changes history. You know, I heard an old preacher say one time, it was because they didn't get to go where they wanted to go that they ended up where they needed to be. Now, is that for you today? Maybe you've been sort of in grief, over something that didn't work out for you because of the way 2020 has developed. That overseas summer vacation you didn't get to take because of the virus crisis, slamming the door shut on that. Or maybe the big wedding ceremony you didn't get to have because this virus slammed that door. Or a commencement ceremony you didn't get to have, slam, a job you didn't get, slab! a job you lost, slam. Can you Relabel that box and see roadblocks as reroutes. See roadblocks as reroutes. You know, it's so easy to stare at the roadblock and just stop and wish things were different. But you're not stopped. You're just rerouted like when your map app recalculates your route. You know, I think of a member of our own church who's a real estate agent. Not much real estate happened when this whole shelter-in-place order first hit us because you couldn't show homes when nobody could leave their home. But instead of just staring at the roadblock, she saw it as a reroute. And with her newfound extra time, she began something she called Project Elderly Care. They take essentials to people in need during this shelter-in-place order in California. They began delivering to over 2,000 people a week. Began an amazing ministry. But do you see what I'm saying? She relabeled that box from roadblock to reroute. And every single time there's a closed door in your life, God can use it to move you to a place you may have never gone before if the roadblock hadn't happened. And I guarantee that will happen or has already happened for you in this whole crisis. You will begin something, a new habit, a new direction, a new job, a new ministry that you may have never started if not for this reroute So, relabel that box. When you can't change the circumstances, relabel the box. Number two, you can get a new perspective on uncertainty. Uncertainty, very appropriate for these uncertain times, right? Watch this. They go on their new route across the ocean and they go into the first big city, Philippi, and they look around for a synagogue because that's the way they always started their ministry. Guess what they discover? No synagogue. In fact, not even enough Jewish men in the city for there to be a synagogue, which meant there were less than 10. So confusing. I'm sure they were like, what are we even doing here? Didn't God give us a vision for doing ministry here? What are they going to do? Verse 13. On the Sabbath, they went outside the city gate to the river where they expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Watch this. They didn't find Jewish men. They found Gentile women. So they go with it. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. And purple clothes were the most expensive clothes. So this was a wealthy Gentile businesswoman. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the message and she becomes the first person in Europe in the Bible to believe in Jesus as Savior but do you see Paul never would have found Lydia if his original plans to start his ministry in a synagogue to Jewish men wouldn't have changed and this shows me I can relabel frustration as opportunity Paul was so frustrated in his attempts to reach the Jewish men in the city, so he kept moving and got an opportunity to reach the Gentile women outside the city. Something this tells me is be very careful that you don't mistake changeable tactics with unchanging goals. Let me explain this. Paul's goal never changed. Spread the gospel, spread the word. Paul's tactics had to change. No Jewish men, let's go to the Gentile women. They're at Peachtree. You've got wonderful, beautiful buildings. You've got lots of amazing ministry that has happened over the years in those buildings. What if, just speaking theoretically now, your ability to meet there in the way that you used to meet there was delayed for another year? Is your goal as a church thwarted? Not one bit because your goal is not to use buildings that's a tactic your goal is to be building into lives that goal will never change for Peachtree your tactics have had to change and will continue to have to change but did you know that right now you are ministering to more people than ever before in the history of your church You've seen the viewership of these virtual church services grow into the several thousands in several states and even other countries. My point, your tactics had to change. Your goal, not at all. Now think of your life, a lot of uncertainty right now. God's goal for your life, as certain as ever, for you to grow in Christ-like character and to touch other people with Christ's love. Okay, back to the story right after this is where things really go south. And you see the third perspective shift, a new perspective on complete crisis. It is a complete crisis. Verse 16, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes, but don't miss this she is a slave this is this horrible human trafficking situation she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved but her endorsement was not helping it apparently was just driving people away people thought she was kind of weird and so Paul gets annoyed and says that is enough and casts the spirit out Jesus sets her free Are her owners happy for her? What do you think? It says, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. And so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar, they said, because of these Jews. A little bit of anti-Semitism there, right? They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Now that wasn't true, so there's slander to add to the anti-Semitism. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods, and rods were wooden poles the size of a baseball bat. Can you imagine? After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now, he was only commanded to guard them carefully. Watch what he does next. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell. And the inner cell of a prison in those days was where the drain was for the prison. Lower than the rest of the cells. So all the human waste would just kind of run down a hill to this inner place. And he fastened their feet in the stocks, which were really painful instruments of torture. So, you're Paul and Silas. You have just been humiliated pummeled with baseball bats. Now you're sitting in human waste and you're naked. A total injustice has been done to you. What are you gonna do now? Here's one of the most remarkable verses in the Bible, truly the most remarkable verse of this entire story. Verse 25, about midnight. And I don't know about you, but for me at midnight is when all my problems seem about 10 times worse. About midnight, that is when I wake up and everything is magnified. About midnight, all I see is problems, right? So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Question. What does singing praises at midnight in prison do for your perspective how does it help you relabel what you're going through well let me explain it this way I want to show you something these are zoomed in pictures of everyday objects and I want you to try to guess what these are what do you think this is it's a banana slice or what about this it's the vinyl groove of a record remember records This one's cool. What do you think this is? Look at it carefully. This is Velcro. You see the hooks and the catches. And finally, what do you think this is? This is a human eyelash. Isn't that kind of gross? But the point is, when you are so close to something, even if you see it with total accuracy, these are totally accurate microscopic photographs, you're still not really seeing it because you're not seeing the big picture. And when I choose to worship from my inner jail cell at midnight, when things seem the worst, what happens is it zooms out my perspective. Now I'm not looking at my problems under an electron microscope anymore. This is why the single most effective perspective adjuster on earth is worship. Worship of God gives you the big picture view. It zooms you out when one crisis after another hits. You do feel disoriented, but worship orients you again to the power of God and the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God and the love of God. This right now in our nation, this is a perfect time to learn to sing praises at midnight in prison now praising does not mean pretending you know Paul and Silas were not denying their reality like what prison we're all happy no they were still hurting can you imagine how much they must have been hurting but they were just remembering God still loves me even here even now all right, let's wrap this up because next the pace really picks up. I take more time, frankly, in my church, but you are Presbyterian, so Rich told me, make it quick. So, earthquake shakes the prison doors open. Jailer wakes up, becomes suicidal. Paul speaks up, don't kill yourself. Jailer runs in, falls trembling and says, sirs, remember how he treated them? Now it's sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they told him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, believe on his name and you will be saved. And he does, and look at his instant change of heart. He washes their wounds. He takes them to his house introduces them to the wife of the kids. And they sit there and they listen to Paul and Silas. And in the morning, they all get baptized together. And none of that would have happened if Paul and Silas would have just given up and ground you know, their teeth in frustration when everything started to go wrong. In fact, if you think of this story, nothing goes right for Paul and Silas technically they are thwarted at every turn. Even though they only want to do what's right, even though they're only praying for God's will, even though they feel like God is leading them, nothing they do goes smoothly. Nothing they do turns out the way they thought it would. In fact, if everything had gone according to plan. They never would have even met the slave girl or Lydia or the jailer or his family. They'd still be over in Milk of Magnesia or Bithynia or whatever it was someplace. What Paul's beginning to learn is this. And here's the relabel on the box containing crisis. Our plan Z is often God's plan A. We can get so upset when we are surprised. When our plans are upset or our expectations are upset. But sometimes... We need an upset for an upturn. Think back on this story. What we see is that God always is working behind the scenes, even though things seemed to be and in fact were in some ways going wrong, but he was working it out for his will. Now, I'm not saying that God caused all these things to go wrong that God caused the riot and caused the people to beat up Paul and Silas. I'm not saying that God makes every bad thing happen to you but I am saying that he can rewrite the worst of times into something that ultimately glorifies him and makes his name known. I'll tell you a story of how I saw this in living color a few years ago when I was pastoring a church up at Lake Tahoe. That's a place in California you may be familiar with that has a lot of, big gambling casinos, it's kind of like Las Vegas in the mountains. Well, our church was packed out, it was growing fast and around October, I started to think at this rate, what are we gonna do for Easter? Plan A, of course, was to have Easter at our church but we couldn't all fit, so I had a great plan B. I wrote the forest service and reserved the beautiful new forest amphitheater. And then I get a letter from the forest service, we don't rent to religious groups. The only large enough meeting space left in town was one of the big casinos that had just remodeled Harvey's. And so on a whim, I wrote them a letter. To whom it may concern, can we have church in your casino on Easter? Didn't hear back. I thought, well, it was a crazy idea. Anyway, scratch plan C. A couple months later, this guy walks up after church to talk to me. And he looks all kind of New York or philadelphia Italian, silk-suited, gold-chain-wearing, Rolex on her wrist, black hair, slicked back fingernails, manicured. You get the picture. And he comes up to me and he says, and he sounded just like this, hey, preach. My name's Pasquale Pena. I uh, accepted Jesus a few weeks back over here and it changed my life. You know what I'm talking about? I said, yeah, I do know what you're talking about. I think that is awesome. And he goes, hey, I got your letter. I said, letter? He says, yeah, to Harvey's Casino Convention Center. I'm the uh, director of said facility. Says it just like that. And I said, oh, that letter, well, it's a nutty idea. I don't expect, he says, don't worry about. We'll fix you up just fine. And I said, well, I don't know if we could afford the rates. He said, don't worry about. And I said, well, actually, I I don't yet have board approval. And he goes, I said, don't worry about. And I'm thinking, great. I'm now doing church with the Sopranos and I cannot get out of it. So I have to break this to my church. Now, this was an extremely conservative, fundamentalist Baptist church. I stand up. In church, and I have to say this to these wonderful people. I say, so, um, change of plan, tiny little change of plan for this Easter. Uh, we are going to, uh, well, close our church and all go to a casino together for Easter. Let's close in a word of prayer. Hymn books are flying, I get angry emails and letters, but we proceeded mainly because I was afraid Pasquale would send over the Big band to break my legs if I didn't. Now, Harvey's Casino slogan that year on all their ads was the parties at Harvey's. And so we put up signs all over town, Jesus is risen, the parties at Harvey's. Easter morning, I'm sitting in Harvey's Casino with my new mafia friend, Pasquale, and nobody else is there. And I'm thinking, Earth to Renee, this is the dumbest idea ever. Our our church people aren't going to come to a casino, and casino people don't want to come to church. And suddenly, people begin to trickle in. And I mean, I'm hearing accents from all over the world people staying at the hotels who heard about this crazy idea. Soon, 300 people are there, and then five, and then 700, then eight, nine, 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 people. We ended up having the largest church gathering in the history of Lake Tahoe, and it was in a casino. But it gets better because little did I know that Harvey's had employed about a six and a half foot tall juggler to suit up in full costume as the Easter Bunny. Big Easter Bunny head with the eyes and the ears. You know, you couldn't see the human being inside like a Mickey Mouse costume at Disneyland or something. Well, he hears about the service and he asks his boss if he could take his half hour break to attend church for a half an hour. And his boss tells him, yeah, but you don't have time to take off your suit. And he says, fine, I'll just take off the head. And his boss says, I don't want little, to have little kids see the Easter Bunny with his head in his lap. And he says, fine, I'll just leave the whole costume on. But I'm taking my break and going to church. And so just as I'm getting up ready to preach, I look back and I see the Easter Bunny tiptoeing into the back door in full costume and taking a seat in the back row. And I'm rubbing my eyes like, what is happening? Well, I do the wrap up. And I invite people to come forward and pray with me after the closing song. And I look up down the middle aisle. The Easter bunny is coming forward. And he just gets in line and stands in line with everybody else like next, next, next. And finally he gets up to me and he puts his hand, paw, whatever on my shoulder. And I have to tell you on the outside, he is still fully suited up. I mean, big goo-goo eyes and a buck tooth smile. But on the inside, the guy's a broken man. And he's saying, Pastor, I know I need Jesus. And he committed his life to Christ. And the guy went on to be very active in our children's ministry at that church and very active in short-term missions. But what happened that morning? That whole service was a result of Jesus saying, a change of plans, everybody... You're not having services here or there or there. I'm going to close this door, close that door, close that door. Not your plan A, not your plan B, not your plan C. My plan Z was God's plan A. He already had a plan. He put me and my mafia friend Pasquale and the Easter Bunny all together, just like he put together Paul and Silas and a Gentile businesswoman and a slave girl and a Roman jailer. And God is at work right now behind the scenes, in your life, even though it looks completely disorienting. Slap that label on the box. You know, to me, it's kind of like those dot-to-dot pictures that you used to do as a kid. You remember dot-to-dots? You'd connect the number dots, and they'd make a picture. Well, we can get so tense when we can't make the dots into a picture, and it all seems like a mess. But God sees dots we don't see. God sees dots way off the page and it's his job to connect them all in a giant picture that one day will make perfect beautiful sense and it will be a masterpiece. Believe that and even you can sing praises at midnight. Now, I want to close by saying what helped those three people in this story 2,000 years ago can help you today. Do you remember what Paul told the Philippian jailer when he was ready to commit suicide? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, that doesn't just mean you will be forgiven of sins and go to heaven when you die, although I believe that it also means right now you will be saved from a life of hopelessness. Right now you can sense how much God loves you. Right now you can get part of that big picture perspective. And so I want to give you a chance to do that right now the way that Philippian jailer did 2,000 years ago. You can join him right now. Let's pray together. Would you close your eyes with me? With our heads bowed, if you wanna affirm, maybe for the very first time, or maybe as a recommitment, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, simply pray right now, Lord, I believe, I believe. And many more who would say, well, I'm already a Christian, may wanna pray, Lord, free me from my prison of despair with new perspective, the perspective that brings freedom even before the prison doors fly open, the perspective that, yes, we live in a broken world, but God, you are working behind the scenes always. And we rejoice in this, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.